Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers on WMNF, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is the vociferous John Dunn. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And we want to thank everyone who contributed to our show last week during the I Love WMNF fundraiser. We wound up about $60 short of our $1,600 goal. Just a little bit short. Just a little bit. So if you'd like, uh, please uh, help us out. It's not too late to donate. Go to the tip jar, wmnf.org, and uh, select WVM. WVM for wave makers. There not too late to donate. Um, and today's wave maker is Nathan Hagen. He is the founder of the Tampa chapter of the national group Yimby. Yes, in my backyard. And this is a group that aims to address the affordable housing crisis by advocating for multifamily housing. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, Nathan was one of about 50 or so people who attended a community meeting in Tampa on Saturday, February 19th, with the intention of mobilizing people in advance of a Tampa City Council housing workshop set for this Thursday, two days from today. Uh, we went to that event and spoke to one of the organizers, Bernice Loradan. She's executive director of the Dream Defenders. Here's what she had to say. Bernice, tell us why we're here today. Hey, so we're here today to talk about the you know huge increases in rent that are happening here in Tampa. Um, and what we're seeing are historic numbers. Um, we have the highest increase in the nation at 24% last year. And this is really impacting our families and our communities because we're not seeing wages increase at the same time as these rent increases are happening. And we're also dealing with historic inflation numbers as well. What is the goal of the meeting today? So it's a coalition of organizations and the goal really is to prepare folks to make public comment at City Council on the 24th and lobby our public officials to vote yes on a rent stabilization ordinance in the city of Tampa. Um, and rent stabilization was presented in St. Pete and that was it was rejected there. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that the only solution that you see or are there other options? We definitely see rent stabilization as one solution and we see it as a temporary measure as well. Um, something that while we explore other options, let's keep people in their homes for now. Okay. Um, and are you looking at other things like zoning and that sort of thing? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. We want to look into everything um, and be as open to solutions as possible. Do you think the problem is what some folks say is supply and demand or do you think it's gouging? I mean, I think it could be both. <laughs> I think there's definitely, um, there's a lack of affordable housing here. There's a lack of housing that people can actually get into. Um, my, I think the issue with saying it's price gouging is, the, the reason behind the gouging is the lack of supply. How urgent is the situation? 
It, to me, it's extremely urgent. I mean, we have people who are getting evicted every day. Um, the rent prices are... My Personally, I live in a studio, and the rent has gone up about $400. So... Over what period of time? Uh, let's see, the past six months. And to me, that's extreme because... I can't downsize. It's not like, oh, you know, hey, I'm in a three-bedroom. Let me look at something smaller. It's literally like I'm in the smallest thing I can be in. And this is about as much as I can put into it. And the prices have just gone up so much that, like, I mean, I'm lucky that I'll be okay. But for most folks, they can't take an increase like that. Like, it's huge. That was Bernice Loredan, the executive director of Dream Defenders, and we caught up with her at a rally um, or an event uh, on Saturday called The Rent is Too Bleep High. Um, and she was saying, you know, in the last six months, the rent on her studio apartment has gone up $400 in just six months. Um, and that's what we're here to talk about today is affordable housing with Nathan Hagen. Nathan, you were at that event. Um, tell us a little bit about what the intention was and what your takeaway was from that particular event. Sure. So, um, you know, I'm not one of the organizers for the event. Um, I kind of just attended to to listen and hear what people are are talking about. And um, what I was hearing was the same thing I hear in every one of these meetings that I go to these days. Um, I hear all the time, everywhere I go, whether it's a a one-on-one conversation I have with somebody or it's a conversation over email or if it's in a big meeting like that, People are struggling, people are suffering, people are finding it very difficult to stay here in, in our city. Um, and that's really difficult to hear, and we heard a lot of that. So tell us about Yimby, uh, Tampa. What What is the goal of that group, and how long have you been around, and what are you doing? And what does it stand for? Tell us yeah, the tell name. Us yeah. <laughs> so uh, Yimby, Tampa is a chapter of a group called Yimby Action, and uh, Yimby stands for Yes in My Backyard. Um, and for some people, maybe that's all that they need to hear is... Uh, Really, what we're about is saying yes in our backyard. Um, you know, people say yes to affordable housing, but they say no to it in their backyard. Or they say yes to good transportation options, but they say no in their backyard. They say yes to density and, and a good urban environment, but not on their street. Um, they're exempt. And it, you know, EMBs uh, are people who want to start organizing around saying yes on their street, in their neighborhood, in their community. So they can have more neighbors and you know share the bounty of of Tampa with more people. So, tell us how you got to here on Wavemakers. We like to talk about we feature people who are advocating, making noise in our community, and you're doing that right now. How did you end up here? Have you been an activist for a long time, or is this your first foray? <laughs> um, I you know I I keep telling people I'm not an activist, but obviously I am because I'm doing this here today <laughs> talking about this issue. But um, I have not been historically, you know, if, if you've known me for a long time, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the last people you expect to really be an activist, but um, I found myself in a place where, you know, I was facing what I would maybe call a very privileged kind of housing insecurity. You know, I, I'm not the, somebody who was afraid of being on the street per se, but I was certainly aware of my context and, and the impact that my displacement would have if I couldn't, if I couldn't resign where I'm currently renting now. Um, and, uh, and you know, I, I started looking into the issue more, and I and I'm trying to understand like why was it that we were struggling so much? And um, there were, you, were you personally struggling? Were, were your was your so rent going up or your mortgage I'm a, I'm or whatever? A, I'm in a place where, um, well, 
I'm in a place of privilege relative to a lot of people, but I think what we're finding is that even people with a ton of privilege are really struggling right now to, to live a life that they think is what they want for themselves in Tampa. So I don't drive a car, right? Like I have a car, but I probably drive it once a month and it's really just to see my parents who live in, uh, you know, like North Hillsborough County. Um, other than that, I am someone who rides a bike, which if you're in Tampa, that is a political act. Just going out of your house on a bike is a political act in Tampa. Um, and I lived in Gainesville for 10 years when I went to college and I worked there after. Um, and I, it was not a big deal. I just never had to drive my car there. When I came back to Tampa, it was, you know, I wanted to live somewhere where I could ride my bike. And right now, honestly, if I, if our landlord wanted to, he could make it so that that dream of mine was not possible. And I would have to go somewhere else that I did not want to live. Um, and I'd have to, my transportation costs would go up, my quality of life would go down. Um, so, you know, I had my own struggle, but it's kind of mundane compared to some of the stories I hear. Well, interesting that you're talking about that. Um, we have um, an, a Facebook comment from a, a listener who says, it's so complicated to find a sustainable answer. I'm at a doctor's office right now with a nurse saying she and her working husband can't find affordable housing. If you have a story or you want to, uh, about your own struggle to find affordable housing or you have a comment on what you think the solutions are, you can give us a call at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three, or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. We're here with uh, Nathan Hagen, who is um, with the group uh, Yimby Tampa, and they're working on trying to find some solutions. So let's talk a little bit about um, the um, workshop, um, a city council, Tampa City Council workshop on Thursday. What is happening there, and um, what are you asking for? What are you hoping the outcome is of that meeting? So there are two big things from a Yimby perspective that are happening. Um, for many people, the highlight has been on the rent control subject. This is the week that we, you know, this is our make or break week of effectively um, in terms of what comes back. And, you know, a big decision will be maybe not made this week, but um, it will be clear kind of the direction we're moving after this week on mm-hmm. that issue. Um, and that, that outshines everything because that is a solution to a short, the short-term crisis that we're facing. Um, what has not really been talked about a lot, um, and I'm not saying it should overshadow that particular conversation because this is going to be an ongoing thing for a while. Um, we've kicked off our comprehensive plan discussions this last week, and it's kind of gone on the radar a little bit. Um, and it always does. It's planning stuff, and people aren't really super informed about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually what most of Thursday will be about. Our, you know, It's a workshop for the city council to learn about our options to have equitable, sustainable growth. Um, and the comprehensive plan update that's happening over the next you know, 18 months or two years is, is the opportunity for the, to solve the long-term crisis that we're facing. But what you're asking is for them to call, call for a, state, a housing state of emergency, right? If they, if they can't do it because it's a workshop, but that's what we're, you're asking for is a housing state of emergency yeah. that would then potentially lead to some other kind of action. Right. Um, I, I think that there has been um, a demonstration of inaction by city council and the mayor. I, I know everyone's really focused and wants to have a lot, wants to do a lot, and there's a lot of things that are in the works and people are working very hard. I understand that. Um, but there's, I don't think there's anything we can do right now that is too far in terms of demonstrating that we are in an emergency where our neighbors are being displaced, people are being economically harmed, like it, it, people are, are struggling right now. And a just a basic declar- like just acknowledging it by declaring something will raise the temperature in the room, but more importantly, it will acknowledge the harm that people are are enduring right now. So you're not necessarily suggesting or supporting rent control, 
But you are supporting the city council at least taking that first step to declare an emergency, which is required in order to even consider rent control, right? Right. Yeah. So we support the uh, the declar- declaration of an emergency. Um, you know, we're mostly focused on the long term crisis, um, and I don't want to really. I I think there are other people who are in a much better position to speak about the short-term crisis and how we can address that. Um, You know, reducing parking minimums is not going to solve our problem for people in six months. Um, And that's really, (laughs) those are the types of issues that that YIMBYs are mostly focused about. I think if if you're wanting to mobilize around rent control, I think there are other groups that are more suited for that at the moment. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, we we need to address this crisis. We need to acknowledge it. We can't bury our heads in the sand. We have to acknowledge it. Um, and we have to take action immediately uh, in one form or another. So one way to solve this crisis, and maybe it's not a quick fix, is to increase the supply because it does seem like it's a supply and demand problem. We have this huge demand from people moving into Tampa from other parts of the country where the rent is even higher, possibly, or the salaries are even higher, and they're bringing those salaries with them, paying higher rents, and everything is going up. So what is the solution then, short-term? What is Yimby suggesting? How do we increase the supply of housing, period, not just... Well, affordable housing is one of those buzzwords that gets people mm-hmm. that get their hair on fire. For example, I'll just uh, here's a good example of NIMBY, not Yimby, NIMBY, not right. in my backyard. The Seminole City Council in December voted against the construction of affordable housing complex for disabled residents and veterans. Incredible. Veteran housing voted against that. And, and here's a Disabled residents quote, and veterans. I don't think any of you want this next door to your house. <laughs> I mean, and they voted it down for veterans. Yes. So if, if, you, if you can't get affordable housing for veterans, what is the hope here to get affordable housing anywhere in this city? That might sound extreme, but if you go to a, you know, a land use meeting in Tampa for especially certain developments in certain neighborhoods, you will hear a lot of discussion about drug dealers, innuendo about bad people who live in multifamily housing. Um, Yimby's, just multifamily housing, not, not necessarily, quote, affordable housing. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, just multifamily. You start talking about affordable housing, then it really kind of can get very ugly. Um, and this is kind of what Yimby's all about, is organizing people who, who are, would hear that and be like, that's insane. Why are these the voices that are coming to city council and speaking? It's not representative of the people of Tampa and the change that we need. Um, uh, well, I, I can talk about the, the, the some solutions. Yes, please do, because so, that's that's what Wavemakers is all about. Frankly, we're looking for people who are who are uh, working on solutions to these problems, just not just complaining about them. So, what are the solutions that Yimby is advancing? So, I'll say briefly because I could talk about this for hours and hours. Um, you know, the campaign that we have this year is that we want to make the city of Tampa affordable for all by ending exclusionary zoning. Um, and I, that's a word that has not been used very much in the city of Tampa. I'm happy to educate people on That's really my mission let's, is to educate well, let's people Let's talk that. about it, exclusionary zoning. What does that mean? And that is, because that's the very wonky. Yes. Um, but what does that mean, really? It's wonky, but it's, it should be intuitive to everybody. Um, you know, we have built, you know, our first land use code was written and approved in 1942. Um, and I could talk for a few minutes about the, the context in which that happened. But let's say you know, it built a system of housing that made some areas very expensive to build housing in because you could only have certain types of housing that were just expensive to build naturally mm-hmm. um, and other areas that were allowed to have density. And therefore, there was affordable, there's affordability in those neighborhoods. Um, you know, back then, it was, a, it, was, it was basically designed to exclude certain people from certain parts of Tampa. And if you look at a demographic map or you look at property values in Tampa, you can kind of tell what neighborhoods were meant to be, meant to exclude other people from. 
Um, and there are other mechanisms, mechanisms for doing that, like uh, um, the cov- neighborhood covenants and things like that that existed way back when um, that made people of color basically not allowed legally to live in certain parts of Tampa. And that was exclusionary on an economic sense. So it was legal, and there's a lot of history we can talk about about that, but it was a legal way basically to say that you know the haves can live here and the have-nots can live there. That's, that is, there is some natural market aspect to that, but that's fundamentally based on a set of rules about how we do land use in Tampa. And there are there is, if we looked at it today and we said, what does a modern land use policy look like in a city like Tampa? It would not be exclusionary. So exclusionary more is saying single-family homes in certain areas, right? I mean, it, would that yeah. be an Nothing easy way to sum it up? single-family homes in that neighborhood. Right. You Only, can't put even a duplex or a, a triplex. Or a mother-in-law or, unit or whatever. Or a or not to say, but I don't, an accessory dwelling unit. <laughs> yeah. um, so they, in your backyard. And right. when you walk around and you look at older neighborhoods, there is single-family homes next to fourplexes, next to right. eightplexes, and uh, and it works fine. Yeah. Um, but we can't do that anymore. Everybody wants to have a giant house on a giant lot. So this dates back to 1942, is our, what you're saying? Our first zoning code in 1942. COP plan were, were approved in the 40s. In 1942, I think, was the first of the two. Mm-hmm. And obviously there were some rules before then, but there was not necessarily a map or a high-level policy of like, we want to basically make this neighborhood this way, and this neighborhood cannot be that way. Um, it needs to be, you know, its own way, uh, and it has. And these are the rules that we set. Rules, arbitrary rules, like it, very arbitrary rules, like the minimum lot size is this, or the minimum square footage is this, or the building can only be so tall, or even the most absurd one, which really is the basis for how Tampa has developed for the last eighty years. How many kitchens can you have in on this parcel of land? Really? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it's the dwelling units per acre. That's the metric that all of our land use is built around. And it's literally how many kitchens can you put on a parcel of a certain size. And in some areas, it's like one per quarter acre. And in others, it's like 50 per quarter acre. Um, I want to read a question that we have from a listener. Christina Costa um, asks this or says this, anti-multifamily housing arguments are mostly based on frustration about traffic. People do not seem opposed to more people. They seem opposed to more cars. What can be done to uncouple the two in the minds of opponents? Each new adult moving to our area does not have to mean an additional car on our roads. So that's a comment from Christina Costa. Um, What's your response to that, Nathan? Um, we have been talking about transportation in Tampa for a long time. We're talking about housing now because of the affordability issue. I think it's important for people to understand that these are basically the same issue. Um, if you can remove the need for people to take so many trips, you know, if you if you can go to your store without doing a five mile trip in your car, that will reduce traffic. Right, the if, five mile city is that what they call it? Or a ten minute city. Ten I think it's a ten city. minute city. Everything yeah. is ten minutes away from right. where you live. It, yeah. So if you can do that kind of stuff, you can reduce traffic, and 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 that's. That's kind of a, a component to this is that we've built out the environment in such a way that it requires everyone to have a car and traffic is bad. And so, yes, if we if we just make more of what we have now, like if we just amplify our current situation, that's an awful situation. Um, I think that if you go to other places that have more density, they don't, they're, trust me, their traffic is not worse. Um, maybe on the interstate it is, but it's a whole other conversation about the interstate. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go to Brooklyn and New York City, uh, and you walk around. I mean, it, it's a it's a decent quality of life in a lot of places where there's good density. Um, in downtown Tampa, even look at downtown Tampa. Nobody's complaining about uh, Channel Side being swamped with traffic. It's not a density issue; it's a transportation issue. Well, they, yeah, the two are really inextricably, inextricably combined. So yes. we have um, uh, about people in Tampa spend about um, 
more than 50%, about 55% of their income on housing and transportation. And if we had more density and better transportation, both of those figures would go down. And that yeah. what we what we pay in this area, this region, is pretty much on par with wh- what it's like in the rest of the country. But we're at the bottom of the barrel when you compare us to our peer cities and aspirational cities. So that's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. One thing about that is that some of the comments, some of the people are opposed to housing, as we talked about multifamily housing, because of traffic. Um, uh, but others it's, are opposed to it because, as we were talking about earlier, is the kind of people that they believe that it attracts. Yes. Um, so th- there are different reasons for opposing it. It is amazing, uh, though, um, you know, that this is an area where neighborhoods do have, the neighborhood groups do have a lot of, Power, I think. I, I want to um, play something from the uh, the the workshop, the event on Saturday, where somebody spoke about people out in the community um, actually being able to take control of their destinies when it comes to their housing. On New Year's Eve, residents of Hollycourt received notices of non-renewal. They were being displaced out of their longtime home. People have lived there five, eight, ten years in North Tampa. And those residents came together in a very similar fashion that we are today. They voted, they came up with a plan on how they were going to fight back, and they stuck to that plan. They went around their community and got their neighbors to sign a letter with demands to their landlord. They they held an action outside of their complex that was well attended and had a lot of news coverage. And just days after that action, Every single tenant who stuck with that original plan to fight back received a letter from their landlord saying that they were no longer being evicted. And not only that, but they were getting essential repairs done to their apartment on the water, which had for months contained dirt and and all kinds of unsafe conditions. And they would be compensated for their time outside of their homes and that when they returned, they would have a fully renovated apartment and no increase in rent. That's a win. And what Hollywood demonstrated is that when poor and working class people come together, make a plan, and fight back, and stick to their plan on how they're going to fight back, that they can win. And that's exactly what's going to happen here in the city of Tampa, across the entire city of Tampa, across the Bay, across Florida, all the way from Orlando to Miami. Working class people are organizing for housing justice. And it's only through organization that we can win. So I think I want to congratulate everybody here for taking the first step in that process. And I want to say that when we fight, we win. 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 Thank you. And and that was Bratton Young speaking at um, an event on Saturday intended to mobilize people in advance of a... Uh, uh, city Council Workshop, Tampa City Council Workshop on Affordable Housing. And if you'd like to join the conversation, please call us at 813-239-9663 or email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Are you having problems with rent? Are you having problems finding an affordable place to buy 
anywhere to live in the city of Tampa. And Nathan, your group is about multifamily housing. And does it really help necessarily to build like supply, supply, supply? Because they're building tons and tons of housing in um, the Channel District. It's multifamily housing. It's all multifamily housing. And it's not affordable. Yeah. Well, that raises a really good question, Nathan, that comes from our uh, phone answer, uh, John, uh, who wonders, what is affordable? Can you define what is affordable housing? So there, there's a couple categories of affordable. Um, the popular one um, these days, and, and it's kind of unfortunate in many ways that this is the one that we're talking about right now, is workforce housing, which is uh, if you make basically 80% of your average income for your area, 80 to 120, you're sort of in the workforce affordability category. And even in those people who basically make average income now in Tampa because of our situation are eligible for some kind of affordable housing. And so we have a lot of housing that's being built right now that is workforce affordable. Um, but then there are other categories below that that are sort of different levels of, of, of housing insecurity or income and um and at the bottom, below thirty percent, you're sort of in a crisis mode where that kind of housing oftentimes needs like social workers present or you know more resources than just housing. Is part of the challenge here is the term affordable housing? People are equating that with quote public housing, and they have a, a bad feeling about it. Uh, yeah, and and I th- I think everyone is on the same page that what we did for public housing forty years ago is not where what we should be doing in the future. Um, you know, now we have this concept of mixed income housing. Um, I mean, our how we think about race and how we think about um, equality now are very different than they were back then. Um, and I, you know, we should be talking more about affordable housing than we are. We should be investing a lot more in it than we are. Um, and uh, you know, but it is confusing to to know that there are different types of that uh, of affordable housing and and figuring out like what kind of housing are we actually building here. When you just read the article, you actually probably don't have a good sense for that. Which actually goes back to, like I was saying about Channel Side, is that they're building a lot of units there. So it's simply building. We can't build our way out of this, bottom line. You can't build your way out of it. Um, yeah, right. Yes. It's not just about building more units, right? Like you can't just say that, uh, that this would be a, a crime against humanity if I came out here and said that we're going we're gonna to demolish West Tampa and build a bunch of huge towers Which is there. practically what's happening now. West Tampa is well, just being overwhelmed <laughs> with multifamily housing and apartments. It, right. It, it, there's nuance involved. Like There's, there's context. Um, there, <laughs> there are areas that have more demand than West Tampa that maybe we should look at first. Maybe that they already have the amenities and they've kind of you know, built a wall around their community that maybe it's time for those neighborhoods to densify before we start talking about displacing people in East Tampa and West Tampa. Um, but there's, there's, you know, when you start talking about channel side and things like that, and, and it's kind of like a no cost housing. I mean, there's some, there's some gentrification and displacement are different things, and that's a whole another hour long right. conversation we can have. But, um, you know, if you're building housing on formerly industrial land, like you're not really displacing anybody, and that's kind of good density that doesn't hurt anybody, and that's kind of what we saw on in channel side. And when you do that kind of thing, it it reduces demand for honestly people like me who. Wanted to, who thought that they wanted to live in a bikeable, walkable community like South Tampa has, is, has great amenities, and so if you have the money to live there, you probably want to live there. But nowadays, people who thought they could live there are pushing north. I'm one of those people. I live in North Hyde Park, north of Kennedy now. And um, if we were building more, you know, glass towers, fish bowls, as they're called in some <laughs> online in mm-hmm. some places, it, you know, in, in places where there's already a huge amount of amenities, 
people like me are not are, are going to be there's going to be less pressure on people like me to move in other areas. When aren't there also options to require or to give benefits to um, builders if they include? You talked about the mixed income housing that if they're building a multifamily um, project, that a certain percentage of it needs to be mm-hmm. um, at a certain level so that people at a certain income level can afford it. Yes. So especially when the, when the city's involved or there's any kind of you know government money involved, they can sort of add these kind of requirements in. Unfortunately, in Florida, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, there's a very hostile uh, legislative branch and, and the governor really uh, to doing the kind of progressive things that places like you know scary places like New York City and DC have done, um, where they have actually made it so that some you know working class people can afford to live in in those places or you know come close to it. Um, and so it's very difficult on, on the legislative side to to mandate it on private development where there's not public money involved, but where there's public money money involved, like you look at the West River project, um, like that is going to be a beautiful mixed income development, uh, and and we need more of that. Um, I want to read a couple emails. We have um, someone who asks, why can't we have an urban development boundary in the Tampa Bay area like Portland, Oregon? And why is Tampa so behind on public transport even compared to Miami and Orlando? Well, I think I'll we tell you why we're one. so behind on public transport. I can, yeah. I can tell you that in one name, that would be Stacy White, Hillsborough <laughs> County Commissioner Stacy White, who after we had a tax that was, I mean, not all on him, but he started that ball rolling. He's I the mean, one who sued his county commissioner. Sued his county college, commissioner. Yes. So we, we had um, passed, a, the voters had passed a tax by more than 60% to uh, uh Build transportation in our county, and that was ended up being overturned. So and we do have an urban service line in Hillsborough yeah, County, right? And sometimes they change the line to accommodate yeah. some development. So I, I, I'm really, you know, I'm more involved with the city, and I, you know, I hope as as our chapter grows. And I, we asked the question earlier, how new are we? We're very new. Let's say less than six months. We've been organizing. Um, our first meeting will be, I think, on March 5th at um, circa 1949, I guess. Yeah, tell us more about that. Uh, how uh, can people get in touch with you? And, uh, uh, oh, yeah, sure. So our website is yimbytampa.com. Um, there's a Facebook group. You can find it. Um, you can. There's a Twitter account. Um, Twitter's a great, a fun place for Yimbys. If you, you know, I didn't really use Tim, uh, Twitter until I sort of started getting into this, and there's just so much great content on there for people to educate themselves on on what policy options are out there and what, most importantly, what are other places doing. Um, and other places are doing it successfully. Um, so, uh, you know, th- those are probably the best ways. There's a mailing list. If you come to our website, you'll, that's, that's a great way to find at, in, you know, in more in-depth content when we have updates for events and things like that. So your first in-person meeting is March 5th, uh, what that, time? That's the plan. It'll be one o'clock at, at circa 1949. Um, not the most bike accessible place if you live downtown, but I think it's kind of central and, and there's people all over Tampa who are interested in it. But they also have very good beer, so I highly I, I And they, the, <laughs> the, court, the little beer garden area there is very nice. Uh, you know, so. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Nathan Hagen of Tampa Yimby, who is um, working um, among the many people in the, in the Tampa Bay area who is working to address the affordable housing crisis that we're having. There are some very, we talked a little bit about some things that can be done, um, you know, uh, getting rid of density caps, uh, Changing parking minimums, getting rid of parking minimums, getting allowing more multifamily housing in single-family neighborhoods so we get more density, um, having a requiring a certain amount of affordable housing in multifamily units. Here's something that the Tampa Tenants Union talks about. This is um, they they say they are fighting for a socialist housing program, and this is from a flyer of the Tampa Tenants Union where there is guaranteed housing, um, and they say uh, no one should be able to own another person's home and 
and it would be illegal to generate profit from renting or selling land. No one would pay more than 10% of income on housing costs, and evictions and foreclosures are stopped. So that's basically saying government-provided housing. That seems Mm. kind of extreme, perhaps. What do you? What's your response to that, Nathan? Um, one thing I love about being a Yimby is that it is uh, it can be as ideological or non-ideological as you want. At the end of the day, whether you have rent control that's provided and housing is completely provided by the government, or you live in a laissez-faire, completely free market society without any kind of regulation or limits, and developers are you know the god kings of the universe, like. We need more housing. People mm-hmm. need places to live. So Human beings need shelter. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I completely agree with the idea that housing is a human right. I think it's a basic, basic requirement for local government. I think we come into these conversations about ideolog- like ideological conversations when we say, well, it's going to happen in a, in a socialist context or another. Um, the Yimby perspective, I think, honestly, and, and our group is too new to really have a firm stance on this, but it, it's, it's that we need more housing. I don't really care what the system is. I want to pick. Through, I want to see what what levers we have to pull today to build more housing tomorrow. Um, and and you know I'm not gonna. It's it's not gonna be a Yimby revolution. We're gonna have a different form of government in ten years. <laughs> if somebody else wants to make that happen, Yimby Tampa is still gonna be around, and we're gonna be making sure that there's more housing for people in Tampa. Um, we've got a caller. We have David and Valrico who's called in. Um, David and Valrico, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually a product of actually uh, my mom uh, from the Vietnam War. Uh, single mom. She had. Uh, had tried to find affordable housing back in the 70s and stuff. And what happened is they, the church converted our house into a parking lot. So my mom had nowhere to go. She had three kids. So they, there was an opportunity to go into a project, and a, a housing development. It was the first time we ever seen literally a dishwasher. We didn't even see that. Hmm. First time we had an AC. So what happened was even some of my friends, we're going through divorce, ended up going into the project. And the one thing I, I would like to see is uh, once people go into a, an assisted living or a, uh, a rent, uh, uh, favorable uh, rent structure, uh, that, that there could be some, some financial counseling that could be made and also uh, services offered to the people there to actually buy the existing condos that were actually given them initially as a rent reduction hmm. uh, yeah. Rent so, to own. Rent well, to own. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that, own. that's not a novel idea. I mean, uh, you know, in D.C. they do, uh, they, they, they have basically these preemption laws which say that if you have uh, an apartment building at all, I think it's, it is, and they want to sell the building, there's an opportunity where in D.C. The, the tenants basically have the opportunity to band together and buy that building at the market rate value of that thing. So um, that yeah. exists. There's a lot of, when you talk about counseling, there, that, this is something that DC provides as well. They provide counseling to these tenants exactly. to sort of organize and do that. So that's definitely a, something that should be on the table. Um, and, and housing security is, you know, when I talk about new housing, just building new housing doesn't matter if you're going to destroy other housing and you're going to have no net new housing, right? Maybe right. Tampa's all about net new housing. I don't care whether it's multifamily, single family, whatever. It's net new housing. As much as possible, we need to protect existing affordable housing. And that, that's a mechanism that exists and has been done elsewhere. Yeah, and you know, my, my, uh, my former wife uh, was uh, in Chicago and was a big advocate. Uh, she had a, her master's in urban development and they would have these single occupancy places and buildings where you would have many men Men, men are the hardest people. Single men are the hardest, you know, group to really 
find housing for. So they made this single room occupancy with, uh, you know, uh, shared bathrooms. So they were able to maximize the uh, tenants and still provide a service for a certain niche group, and that would have been the single male uh, versus a someone with children, which you might see that there are a little more support services for anyone that may have children yeah. and are, are going into homelessness than, than a single male. That, right. gets, that gets into um, you know another important thing about YIMBY, you know, whatever that means, is that in Tampa you only... 80% of our residential land is single family only. Um, huh. What is missing, a huge part, when people talk about, and I think one of the other questions was about gentle density. and miss, when, you, when you end exclusionary zoning, what that means is you legalize other types of housing that are, are you know, something other than an expensive single family home. There are other types of housing that are more affordable to regular people. That's one example that has a small niche that I'm sure that is needed and we should be exploring that. Um, but like just more options like people in Tampa have never seen if you've never left Tampa you have never seen a stack triplex mm-hmm. like 70% of Boston or the, the communities around Boston are stack triplexes yeah. I mean there's so many other things out there that have worked for other communities and there's no reason why we can't why those are illegal in 80% of Tampa it makes no sense thanks for the call David we appreciate right. it um, thank you keep up the work although what I would say about that is that I don't. Not sure. Boston is any more affordable than Tampa. Oh, Boston's got their own problems for sure. I mean, when you get to the size of that big, you know, you're talking about well, the stack triplex is the new single family home. But what you have there, and so I'm going to uh, read an email from somebody. But the difference that you have in Boston is you have the mass transit, mm-hmm. so that if you cannot afford to live in those urban dense areas, you can live out of the urban dense area. And then you have transportation to get to work. Sure. So it's it still, there's a, an affordable way to live. Right. Um, we have an email from Leah in Tampa. She says, how can people in income-restricted complexes afford to live le- there at these prices? They must spend 30% of their income on rent. You have to have at least two ra- roommates to afford anything, and there isn't enough parking for that at apartment complexes. Yep, living arrangements and transportation are the same issue. It's an interesting perspective. Well, that gets to the issue of uh, parking minimum. So I think uh, even that might get some pushback from folks who say, hey, wait a minute, this is a drive, a, a yeah. car-centric uh, community. How am I going to uh, get around if, I, if there's not enough right. parking for me? Yeah. Let's take another call. We've got Kevin um, in Sarasota. Um, Kevin in Sarasota, um, he says he owns affordable housing downtown. He wants to comment on that experience. Kevin in Sarasota, you're on the line. Tell us about hey. that. Hey, great show. Thanks a lot. This is such an important issue. Yeah, in Sarasota, it's fascinating. We've done, uh, uh, recently we rezoned an entire uh, uh, neighborhood downtown to, we tripled the density from 25 to 75 units to the acre nice. and did not ask for a single thing in return from the developers in terms of affordable housing. Yep. So quickly, 2,500 units got per, got built, and I, I think they start at like $1,800 for like a one-bedroom. That, that's, that's one thing. The point is, I uh, actually I have I have a property with 36 units that you can you could actually put 40 condominiums there, um, and right now I pay about forty thousand dollars a year in taxes. Forty condominiums uh, valued at a minimum of a million dollars each would bring in about six million dollars in taxes. So if you're a city or county commissioner and you have a choice to accept or to receive millions in tax revenue versus thousands in tax revenue, what do you think you're going to do? 
Yeah, I, I think a fun some things will have to fundamentally change about how we think about Tampa. Um, there are people who think that Tampa is full, and Tampa today is the Tampa that Tampa will always be forever. Um, there are many things. If you're in that category, you're not a Yimby, and you probably are, have stopped listening. Um, <laughs> if you're if you're a Yimby, whether uh, you know with a capital Y or lowercase Y, like you, you have to acknowledge that we're going to have to be investing more in public housing. That means making it easier. Um, in the short term, I know, I know there are groups who are would oppose this, who are on the affordable housing side. Um, you know, we're gonna have to invest in in the not for, the nonprofit housing organizations that are building nonprofit housing. Um, we're gonna have to work with for profit developers to incentivize them properly within the constraints that we have in a, in the state of Florida, which are unfortunately very constrained. Um, and, and so there needs to be more public investment, and that includes obviously giving up tax revenue for housing. So you're right about the incentives, but I, I think that. Good leadership can overcome those kinds of incentives about needing more uh, revenue. Well, also, don't the developers have an incentive just to, they're just, all they're doing is building luxury housing. Mm-hmm. After World War II, we had tens of thousands of uh, veterans who came back to this community, yep. and affordable housing was built. Yep. They were responding to a, a market demand. Why is that not happening in the environment? Is it because of the zoning codes? Um, yeah. Oops, sorry. I, I may I maintain it's it's because of the the, the revenue stream. If it, it take for example where they tripled our density, if fifty percent of that extra density was allocated towards affordable housing, um, when Mr. Tax Assessor came along, he would assess those units at a lower rate than he would assess the market rate ones. So once again, if you're a local government, you would take a financial hit on that, and that's and that's unfortunate. That that's that's I think that's basically you know the bottom line. In my case, I'm going to have to sell this property at some point to a developer because as my taxes and my insurance goes up, I can't raise my, my, my rents to, to cover that And, and there's, versus putting a freeze. You could put a moratorium on rents for, you know, or you could charge them 50% of the, of the going rate for a period of time as long as your rents are within a certain, you know, uh, a window of avail- affordability. But there's the zero incentive for those of us with affordable housing, and that's everywhere, Sarasota, Tampa, anywhere, for zero incentive financially for us to keep them because the market pressures are such that a developer will buy them, they'll build condominiums, and the local government will will, will, will laugh all the way to the bank. Well, th- thanks for calling, Kevin. Really appreciate well, your perspective. You guys- you know, a great job. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. You know, a, a lot of it is about just our value. What do we value as a society? You know, there was a time when people, like those old houses in Seminole Heights and um, the old Northeast and smaller neighborhood, those houses that huge families would live in these small little bungalows mm-hmm. and you'd have six people who'd be sharing one bathroom. That's right. unthinkable. Nobody would build a house like that now. You would not move a family of six into a house with two bedrooms and one bathroom. We all have much bigger expectations, higher expectations yeah. of what's acceptable for ourselves. So it, a lot of it is about as just a society thinking, how do we want to treat each other and what are and what are we willing to share? Um, which is funny when you go back to the Tampa Tenants Union when what they're talking about, and I've seen them talk say things like, "Oh, we've got lots of people. There are rich people who have multiple houses, and they have plenty of room there." It reminds me of the scene in Doctor Shivago when the guy came home, and there are all these people living in his big house. Is is that what we're talking about? Moving towards some people in the the Tampa Tenants Union would say yes. Um, we've got Jeff Smith who um, sent us an email. Great show with many exclamation points. Thank. Thank you. My hat's off to Nathan. 
He is waging an extremely noble fight. Um, thank you for mentioning the Hillsborough County transportation debacle. The situation could only happen in Florida. <laughs> um, so that is Jeff Smith. Um, uh, we've got um, Elaney in Tampa. She's on the line. Um, and if you want to call and weigh in, we've got about 10 more minutes to the show. The number is 813-239-9663. Or you can send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. But Elaney, what's on your mind? Um. Well, first off, I want to say that I am one of those people that I think that Tampa is full. So, um, well, thank you for calling. I, <laughs> thank you for listening this long, actually. <laughs> and um, I live in an, I live in Tampa Heights, and I moved here six years ago. And you know, it's a, a neighborhood of, of small, um, affordable homes. And in this period of time, actually, really in the last two and a half to three years. We have been, if, if a, whole, a small home is for sale or somebody dies, um, these developers are just like vultures coming in. And because we are allowing in this area now, which is the first historic suburb of, of Tampa, is, um, yeah. we are allowing the developers to come in and, and build uh, quads and duplexes. And we're talking about quads and duplexes that, at minimum, go for eight hundred and go up to a million dollars. Exactly, um, and, and 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 it's pushing out um, my my neighborhood, which was predominantly African American uh, six years ago, is probably at best maybe fifteen or twenty percent in less than say three years um, when everything kind of changed. And, you know, and I'm, and my son who lives in South, um, Southeast Seminole Heights, he bought his house a little over two and a half years ago for $90,000, a small home. And vultures are constantly sending us letters. Wait, and, he bought that house for $90,000 how long ago? Uh, about two and a half, almost three, almost three years ago. And then lucky him. Back. Yeah. yeah, lucky. I'm telling yes. you, lucky him. Else, there would be no way. But he, but he's also lucky that he owns that house uh, because he will take advantage of the increased property values. But if he was a renter, uh, that landlord might be increasing that rent. Yeah, uh, to pay the taxes and. So, and I'm sorry I pronounced your name wrong. It, it's Blanny, but it, what you're saying, Blanny, is very interesting. That they are building multifamily housing there, and that's it needs to be more than just multifamily housing. Like you're saying, is that Channel District? What they're building in your neighborhood? They're building in downtown St. Pete. They're building lots of multifamily housing in downtown St. Pete. That doesn't mean that anybody of modest means or even just a middle class person can afford to live there. Yeah, I, I think right. Nobody can afford, and I and I just wanted to think. And by the way, your um, your guest um, thing of comparing it to New York and Boston. New York and Boston. I'm sorry, I'm originally many years ago from New York, and I also lived in Boston. And there are walkable places. There's public transportation. Right. There's plenty of green space. We don't have any of that here. You can't. Most places, you know, you can't walk to a real park. You can't walk. And you can't, and, the, and the, you just talked to the issue about public transportation. But one of the things is, and I think it's one of the biggest beefs that I have is when we talk about this affordable housing, is what you're kind of saying to me is if you're, not, if you're of modest means, if you're not wealthy, you don't deserve a piece of a, a house 
with land, with a backyard, with a garden, any of these things. And the things that they're building here, not only are they huge and they're expensive and they took the sunlight from my backyard. <laughs> um, so, so now, you know, my garden is completely shaded. But not only have they done that, but, but you know, they've made it impossible for anybody to, to afford to live there that is of modest means that used to live here until about three years ago. Right. And uh, that's gentrification that you're talking yeah. about. Thanks for the call, Blanny. Appreciate it very much. But there's a flip side to gentrification, which is if you own a house in a neighborhood where it is gentrifying, your value is going up. You'll be able to sell and, and make a pretty decent profit. Yeah. However, if you're a renter, it's it's bad news. I, I want to go back and just, and hopefully in one sentence, and say my response to that, which is, if everyone in Tampa had that mentality, I could not be here. If I can't be here with my means, think about who else can't be here. So I I, I am I appreciate that. As Tampa grows, people's expectations about maybe they feel it's their quality of life, even though they get more cultural and they get walkable communities. Boston has walkable communities because they have density. And so if Tampa Heights, uh, somehow, I know there's a Save Tampa Heights group. If Tampa Heights is able to organize in a way that says that we are going to be stuck in time and never change, Tampa Heights will never have good transportation options. It will not be able to fund the, the, the rail we're trying to get there. Um, it will not be more walkable. Um, it, it will be stuck in time. And, and the status quo right now, nobody is happy with today's status quo. Um, you can't afford to live there. If, if everyone was like that, I could not be here in Tampa. So for me, that is per personally almost a painful thing to hear is somebody saying, yeah. effectively, the policy that I want is the policy that says that Nathan Hagen cannot live in Tampa anymore. Well, the other problem you have there is that, just to use Tampa Heights as an example, is that it's perfectly situated for mass transit. Yeah. In fact, there's a plan to extend the streetcar right. to Tampa Heights. But transport, uh, you know, uh, transit requires some density. It does. Yeah. Right. That's it, why it, Tampa it, is in our situation. It's so, 100% because of density. So we want mass transit. They always are saying that, yeah. But we don't want density. It's, right. it's, you it's, can't it's have a contradictory idea. Yeah. I, have, I do want to bring up one issue of the dynamics of this market, which is the uh, number of uh, corporations that are buying houses. Yep. And I'm wondering how that's affecting uh, the prices uh, St. Petersburg, which is going through a similar housing crisis, uh, commissioned a study uh, with some Harvard Kennedy st uh, students, and that what they found was that corporate investor purchases grew 79% from 2020 to 2021, 79%, and 530% since 2011, quote, calling into question who is in control of the housing supply. Right, and they're all coming out and paying cash so that a young person who wants to go buy a house can't even buy a house with a down payment. Yep. It makes it impossible to buy. So corporate ownership of rental housing, is that an issue that should concern us or the concerns? It, it should concern us, but it's not like that question. It's a great question of who controls our housing supply. The people that control our housing supply are the people who are writing our comprehensive plan this year. It, it is our city council. It is the mayor. It is the neighborhood associations who have a ton of input on that and who will ultimately decide what thing, what housing supply exists in Tampa. Um, I'm not an advocate for, for Goldman Sachs buying housing in Tampa. I think that's awful. And I know, and that's, those are the worst types of landlords to have because they are brutal. I have a great landlord who's an independent landlord who has barely raised my rent in the time that I live in my current place. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, if I had one of those landlords, I would be in crisis. And so that, that is a problem. But the reason why they're buying here and they're buying these homes is because they know 
that we have, we're choosing to not build more housing mm-hmm. and that we are a supply-constrained market. And for that reason, Tampa is very attractive to them. So it, one thing that EMBs can do to sort of make a difference in the short term is if we can signal on Thursday or whenever that we are going to make really big, bold steps to make sure that we're, we're building a lot of housing, that will signal to the market that you're not going to be able to thrive off scarcity anymore. I mean, the land will still be valuable, but just owning a house in an, in an area that, pe- that honestly has bad accessibility, it's going to reduce the pressure on other areas if we can really demonstrate that we are committed to solving this problem by building more housing. Yeah, oh, we've got time for one more call because and, and uh, Simone and Saint Pete, you're on the air. Um, you got thirty seconds. Hello. Hi. Hi. So um, great thing in building affordable housing. I know we're into development. However, I've realized walking downtown Saint Pete that we have blocks and blocks of empty affordable right. housing. The buildings that they actually emptied underneath Kreiserman and the Affordable Housing Committee, we have blocks of emptied, abandoned buildings. So I know we're all into this development of, you know, the legislator, they're pushing in the affordable housing development um, processes, but I just feel as if we already have it, and I think if the city purchased it and renovated it, that would be a way quicker way. Yes. Are you talking about the Jordan Park homes, the old former public housing project? There? Jordan Parks was one of them. There are multiple ones around Mirror Lake, um, Crescent Lake, the downtown one across from the municipal center. All of these buildings were empty five years ago. Mm-hmm. So now it's time to fill them up, is what you're saying. Okay, thanks very much for your call. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it, Simone. Thank you. Um, Okay, well, Nathan, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, actually, I've got one more clip I want to play. We've got um, uh, Carla Correa um, talking at the event last week uh, on Saturday about what's going on in St. Pete. Let's hear from her. Um, I thought I would hear from her, but it's not playing. Let's see. Okay. Well, then we're not going to hear from Carla Correa. (laughs) But, um, Nathan, we really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having Um, me. Thanks, John, for answering um, the phones for us. Thanks to all of our listeners who called and emailed. Key meeting coming up on Thursday at the Tampa Uh, City Council? I think it's a Saturday. I hope it's Saturday. Okay. Fifth, I think. Oh, no. No, that's your... On March 5th. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes, Thursday. Tampa City Council meeting is Thursday. This Thursday, yeah. This Thursday at 9 a.m. is the City Council workshop that's going to be on affordable housing. And then on March 5th, is when Yimby Tampa is going to be holding its first organizational in meeting, yes. in-person meeting. And how do people find uh, Yimby Tampa? That Google Yimby Tampa, and you've y- got YimbyTampa.com. Uh, Yimby Tampa might be a little confusing if you Google it, but YimbyTampa.com or on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, you can find us. All right, and thanks for being here, Nathan. This is WMNF Tampa. Mm-hmm.